Well, I'm turning this morning to Hebrews and chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, and I'd like to draw your attention to verse 26 as our text this morning. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 26 says, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. There's particularly that description of the Lord Jesus Christ I want to focus with you this morning. He's holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. And my subject this morning is the sinlessness of Christ, the sinlessness of Christ. For those of you who've been here over the past uh, weeks, you know that we've been considering these various doctrines regarding the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we're seeking to delve into something of the unsearchable riches of our Saviour. And we considered at the very beginning of this series the great necessity of preaching Christ and him crucified, and Paul was determined, wasn't he, to know nothing else save this one great topic of Christ and him crucified. And then we considered as our starting point the deity of Christ. We briefly looked at those words, didn't we, in John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We noted that Christ is fully God. He's divine. And whatever we may say about God, we can say about the Lord Jesus Christ. And then last time, we looked at the humanity of Christ. And again, we If you remember, we were thinking of John chapter 1 and verse 14, where John says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, this great mystery that God was manifest in the flesh. Christ was a true man, that he has a a real body, he had a real soul, that he was subject to various human uh, afflictions and limitations and emotions, just as we are. And we considered some of these things, didn't we, last week, how he had to grow, how we had to develop. There was occasions when he was tired, when he was hungry. We read one of those moments just a few moments ago, didn't we, from Luke 4, how he was unhungered. Sometimes he was sorrowful, sometimes he was glad, and he was tempted. And ultimately, of course, Christ faced death. He was a true man. But there was one truth concerning the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ that we noted very specifically. And we noted that his human nature was not similar to ours, but it was identical to ours. And it was identical in every aspect, we said, except for one thing. And that one thing was sin. Christ was a real and a true human being. He was born of a woman. He was made under the law, but he never sinned. We made that point, didn't we, last week, that Paul was very careful in his language in Romans chapter 8, you remember, because he said that God sent forth his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He didn't come in sinful flesh, but he was sent forth in the likeness of sinful flesh. And it's this theme that I want us to pick up on this morning, the theme of the sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And throughout the scriptures, we find it repeatedly told to us that the Lord Jesus Christ, that he never, ever sinned. 
1 John 3 verse 5 states, In him is no sin. 1 Peter 2.22 says that he did no sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 makes it clear that he knew no sin. Over and over again we see this doctrine repeated. When you come to the, the, the events surrounding the crucifixion, no less than five people testify to the purity and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But this morning I want to turn to this text here in Hebrews chapter 7 because we have perhaps the most complete reference in Scripture to the sinlessness of the Saviour. Now it's not my intention to look at the argument that the writer is building here in this chapter concerning the priesthood of Jesus Christ. But what I want us to do is I want to, as it were, lift out this description and look at this description. And I want us to do just... Uh, two very basic things this morning. I want us to look firstly at this, the, you know, the detail of this description, and then I want us to look at some important instruction that flows from the doctrines that are, that are given here. So firstly then, let's look at this, this detailed description. It's a, it's a magnificent five-fold description of the purity and the sinlessness of Jesus Christ and want us to look at these five things that the writer mentions here each one in turn and you'll notice the first thing that he mentions here the first thing that he draws our attention to is the the purity of Christ towards God the purity of Christ towards God he says for the for such an high priest became us who is holy The first descriptive word that the writer uses is holy, and holiness is a characteristic, isn't it, and an attribute of God's. We read earlier that praise of the seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. God is perfectly holy. God is separated from sin and from all that is impure and filthy, and Christ is described here as being exactly the same as God. He is holy. Now, this word holy is used in a number of ways in in Scripture. Often the word means to be set apart, usually for some religious work or activity. You think of the priests in the Old Testament were set apart for the holy work in the temple. They were to be consecrated in their activity to God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, in a far superior manner, was consecrated, wasn't he, to his heavenly Father, He was wholly dedicated to completing his father's will and his father's purposes. But the word also has another sense which is equally applicable here. And the other sense of the word is of moral inward purity. It's the word that's used in connection to God or we may say towards God, to God. It's a a moral excellency not displayed to our fellow men, but in a, it's a display towards God, towards almighty God. And that's the, the primary meaning of this word here in Hebrews 7 verse 26. The writer is saying that Christ displayed a purity, a holiness, an excellency towards his heavenly Father. Remember the great command that we're given in Scripture. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. And Christ fulfilled this commandment completely. He was devoted, wasn't he, perfectly to God. His heart was free from all idolatry. You see that even in the temptations that we read earlier. Worship me, Satan cries. Christ would only worship 
his heavenly Father. You see, his whole being was, was given over in sinless and perfect worship to the Lord's. That's why God looks at his son and, and he can say those words, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He could only utter those words because Christ is holy. But we notice something else here because there's a second word that the writer uses here because he not only says that he's holy, but he says he is harmless. And the writer, you see, is not only drawing our attention to the purity of Christ towards God, but now he draws our attention to the purity of Christ in relation to men. He's harmless. And the word harmless has this sense of being guileless, of of doing no evil. The person who is harmless, does nothing ill, would never want to hurt anyone, is free from malice. It signifies an innocency. And Christ, we're told here, was harmless. He was innocent, he was free from malice, he was pure in all his relations to men. No one could ever point the finger at Christ and say he was selfish or he was unjust or he was unkind. No, no, you could never point the finger at Jesus Christ. He was always merciful. He was always righteous. He was always fair. We thought just a moment ago that Christ fulfilled that first great commandment of loving the Lord his God of all his heart and so on. But he also fulfilled the second part. He loved his neighbor as himself. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan helping his neighbor. Christ is the Samaritan. In all his relationships, he was harmless. And friends, let me make this point very clear. There was never a murderous thought in Christ's heart. There was never a lustful look. He never once did he steal or defraud his neighbor. Never did he covet, never did he lie. There was no sin in Christ. You see, whichever commandment you choose to look at, if you're to test, as it were, Christ with that commandment, you'll find that he he never broke it. He always fulfilled it perfectly. Like a, a vial or a bottle of pure water, no matter how many times you shake it and you stir it up, it's still pure. Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 53 that he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Peter says something very similar in 1 Peter 2, 22, that he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. We read a couple of weeks ago, Isaiah chapter 7, you remember those, those wonderful words of prophecy about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it tells us that he would refuse the evil and choose the goods. Friends, Christ was a harmless saviour. He displayed a perfect purity in all his relations to man. But the writer goes on and he adds a third thing here in this passage because he then describes the Lord Jesus Christ not only as holy, not only as harmless, but as undefiled. And this points to his purity as an individual. What I mean by that is his internal, individual, moral excellency. The word undefiled has this sense of being untainted, free from stains, you know, I think we're used, aren't we, to seeing those adverts, you know, for whiter than white washing powder. And they pull the, you know, in these adverts, they pull the shirt, don't they, out of the washing machine, and it does a little sparkle as they pull it out, and it's so perfectly white. And they compare it with what it looked like before and how it's changed, and, or they compare it with other brands. This is what the other brands look like. You know, when they pull it out, it looks white. 
but it's not as white as our whites. But you see, the Lord Jesus Christ is like that. Not that he was ever spotted and never filthy, but his very being is, is unspotted, it's untainted, it's without blemish. And it speaks of his perfect character, his guiltless individuality. Christ is the only man since Adam who could ever be described in this way. There was no guilt in Christ, no stain of sin in his being. Even when he was crucified, you remember Pilate said, I find in him no faults. The Lord Jesus Christ is righteous, he's pure. Those of you who were able to come to the Bible studies when we looked at the offerings in Leviticus, you remember we reflected on this over and over again with the animals, how it's repeated that the animal should be without blemish, without blemish, it should be unspotted, untainted. You think of the burnt offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, everything. They had to be perfect. Even when the animal was cut up and the inwards and, and everything was brought out and looked at, the kidneys, the caul and the liver and so on, all those things, it had to be checked to, be, to ensure that it was perfect, that there was no cancer, there was no issue with the animal. There was nothing that could be said. This animal had, a, had an imperfection. It had to be undefiled in Christ as the second Adam. He was a perfect individual. He was without blemish. From his very conception, we're told in Luke's gospel that he was pure. There was no original sin in Jesus Christ. And when you trace the Lord's life, you find this aspect displayed over and over again. Even when he's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, he's pure. You go all the way through his life, you never find a single sin. You go all the way to the cross, you think of all the awful temptations that Christ and the accusations that he faced there upon the cross. They hurled them at him as, as, he, as he was hanging there. But never once did he stray from God's holy law because he had this internal purity. It was all because Christ was holy, harmless, undefiled. But there's a fourth thing that the, that the writer adds here because he points out not only is there a purity towards God and a purity in his relation to man and, a, and an individual purity, but then there's this purity concerning others. It says that he was separate from sinners. Separate from sinners. It's a, an interesting expression that, that is used here. Because it doesn't mean that Christ separated himself from people and, and he became a recluse, he became a, a hermit living on his own in some monastery somewhere, never talking to anyone. No, no, that's not what Christ did at all. You remember we made this point a few weeks ago that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. He came into this sinful world. He came unto his own, we read there, and his own received him not. You see, he rubbed shoulders, didn't he, with some of the most sinful people of his day. He sat on a well and he talked to a Samaritan woman. His enemies even accused him, as we were, we were thinking a few weeks ago, of eating and drinking with publicans and sinners. Now the point is that, that here, that what the writer is getting at is while he was in the world, he was not of the world. We're all sinners. But Christ was separate from that. He was in a different class. And so while he walked on this sin-cursed earth, while he rubbed shoulders with sinners, and while he conversed with wicked people, and, and while he did all of these things on this sinful world, he was never polluted once by the stains and the sins of others. You see, Christ was separate 
from sinners. So the writer draws our attention to all these aspects of the sinlessness of Christ, relationship to God, his relation to man, his inward individual moral excellency, and even as he walks around in this world. But there's one final thing that he adds here. Because he says here at the end, and he was made higher than the heavens. He made higher than the heavens. You see, Christ possesses an eternal purity. When I used to read this verse, I always used to be a little bit confused. I always used to think this last saying here always felt very unconnected to the previous four. He's holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. And you end it there, and then you've got this, this extra thing on the end that he's made higher than the heavens. It seemed to me that this expression was out of place. But as I was giving it some thought over this past week, I, I think we can see a connection here between the previous four and this, and this last one here. There's probably a number of connections, particularly in reference to the, the high priestly work of Christ. But I think that this expression here, made higher than the heavens, tells us that Christ was not only pure and perfect and sinless here on earth, but he's still the same even now. You see, there could be the tendency to think that when Christ died upon the cross, which was an accursed death, that somehow he lost his purity. We're told that he was made sin for us. And there could be this possibility that he's still under the curse of sin. That Christ is no longer sinless. That he's no longer free from stain. But the writer makes it clear in Hebrews that Christ, our great high priest, he's passed into the heavens. Christ is now exalted. Christ is now seated in glory. And this is significant because heaven is a place of purity. It's a place of holiness. We read Isaiah chapter 6. There's the seraphim in heaven. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We read at the very beginning of our service that part from Revelation chapter 4. Again, that praise, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Holiness becomes heaven. And as you read the descriptions of what heaven is like, as you go through Revelation, you constantly get these symbols of purity and perfection with heaven. You see, white robes, a picture of purity. It talks about pure gold, a picture of purity. There's a river that runs through of pure water. Heaven is a place of purity and perfection and excellency. And there's nothing that's impure or sinful that resides in heaven. You go to Revelation 21, the writer John makes it clear. In Revelation 21, 27, he says, And there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. You see, the only, the only beings in heaven are pure and perfect beings. Even now, heaven is filled with holy angels and is filled with the spirits of just men made perfect. And Christ, our sinless saviour, saviour, has passed into the heavens and he's made higher than the heavens. He's eternally pure. He's eternally perfect. He's eternally sinless. Right now, in heaven, there is the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those hours on Calvary, yes, he bore our sins. Hallelujah, we say as God's people. He took our sins, but it was only for a time. He paid the price. He drank that bitter cup to the dregs. But when he bowed his head, it was all over. 
And Christ bearing our sins did not change the perfection of his character. He is still the sinless Son of God. And friends, this morning, this, this, should, this should make us well up in joy. We have a man in heaven who is sinless. And I think that as before we move on to look at the instruction here, we should say, what a glorious saviour we have. Do you know anyone who matches this description of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know anyone who can say, yes, they're holy, they're harmless, they're undefiled, they're separate from sinners, they've been made higher than the heavens? Do you know anyone like this? The truth is, friends, this morning there'll be another, there'll never ever be another man like Jesus Christ. So do we realise how wonderful, how blessed, how amazing it is that we have a pure and spotless Redeemer in heaven? The Lord Jesus Christ is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. And so that's the, the description. I just want to move on with the time that we have remaining this morning, just to think about some important instructions that flow from this. Here's this wonderful fivefold description. But as we've noted before, whenever we come to doctrine, there's always instruction for us. There's always application that we can take from this. And the first thing that I want you to just notice this morning is the great contrast. A great contrast. We've just had this, this complete description of Christ detailing just how pure he is, just how sinless he is. But what a contrast we are in comparison with him. He's sinless, but we are sinners. We've transgressed God's law. We have come short of God's glory. We sin perpetually. We sin daily. Christ was pure. Christ was undefiled, undefiled in his very being. But like David, we have to say that in sin did my mother conceive me. We're tainted, aren't we? We're spotted and stained with guilt. We're so easily influenced by this world. As we walk amongst this world, we, we so often become conformed to it. We become like it. We copy what our, what our friends do. We copy what this world is doing. And so often we have to cry as Christians, Oh, wretched man that I am! Of course, Christ never cried that, did he, in his earthly life? Believers this morning, as we look at the sinlessness of Christ, and in contrast, notice our own wickedness and our own vileness, it should drive us to our knees in repentance. You see, repentance is not a one-off activity. It's not, the, it's not what we do when we become Christians, that we, we come and we repent of our sin and we follow Christ, and we leave repentance, as it were, in the past. Repentance should be something that we do daily. It should be a mark of our daily walk and Christian experience. Remember what Paul said, I die daily. Do we die daily? Christ taught his disciples to pray. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. Believe it, let me ask you this morning, how often do you come in repentance to God? How often do you come seeking the forgiveness of God's? It should be often. It should be as often as we sin. So here's the first thing that we see, this great contrast that should drive us to repentance. But notice, secondly, a great pattern. Christ lived in this world, but he never sinned. He was harmless. He was separate from sinners. And as God's people, we're called to be like our saviour. Christ is the pattern that we should follow. 
We're commanded by God, be ye holy, for I am holy. We're to be copying the pattern of our Lord Jesus Christ. John tells us that we're to purify ourselves even as he is pure. And what a pattern that the Lord Jesus Christ set. Do you remember those words in 1 Peter? Christ, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Christ is to be our pattern in this life. Paul instructs us, doesn't he, to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. So friends, this morning, let's not be pulled and lured by this world. Let's seek to take up our cross and to follow our heavenly master. Let's not be conformed to this world. Be drawn by its passing pleasures and, and follow these vain, vain things of this world. Instead, we should be as his sheep hearing his voice and following him. Remember what Paul says in Philippians 2, that we're to have the same mind as our Lord Jesus Christ. Believer, let me ask you this morning, how Christ-like are you? Do you follow the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you seek and strive by God's grace to be holy, to be harmless, to be undefiled, to be separate from sinners? But the final thing I want you to notice by way of instruction this morning is a great comfort. A great comfort. I don't know about you, but when you come to a description like this and you see the purity of Christ... And as you, as it were, look into the mirror and you see reflected back all of your own sin and your own wickedness and your vileness, you can become downcast with all your sin. You can wonder, you know, how, how can I ever let my saviour down again? And yet we do over and over again, day by day. Perhaps you've committed the same sin this morning that you did yesterday and the day before. And, and you, you get into this, this rut and you begin to beat yourself up because you, you sinned again and again. And at times, you know, you can fall into so much sin that you begin to even doubt your salvation. But our sinless saviour is in heaven. And John tells us in his first letter that if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. An advocate who pleads and pleads our cause, just like somebody does in a court of law. He pleads before the throne of God. And who is this advocate? Remember what John says there, Jesus Christ, not the sinner, not Jesus Christ, the good man, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the holy son of God. The one who was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and made higher than the heavens. He's the one who pleads before the throne on our behalf, believer. So when you sin, you see, Jesus, as it were, he says to the Father, that's one of my children, that's one of my believers. I've paid the price for their sin. I've dealt with it. I've died for them. And of course, the wonderful thing is, not only has Christ paid for our sin, but one day we shall be like him. One day this body of sin, this body of death will be no more and one day we shall be like Christ. You remember those words that John writes, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And so the sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ is a great guarantee of our future sinlessness. I don't know about you, believer, but I can't wait for that day. Can you not wait for that? You just... You long for that day when you'll be in a world where there is no more sin and no more death and no more pain and no more sorrow and no more heartache. No more sickness. Nothing to, to dim the eye. But there will just be joy because there'll be a world of perfect bliss. 
As believers this morning, we should rejoice in this wonderful comfort. Such a day is coming. And it's all been secured by Jesus Christ, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. And so this morning, as I close, we should give great thanks to our Saviour, a Saviour who is sinless, still is sinless, a Saviour who is holy, a Saviour who one day we shall see him in all his beauty, and we shall bear his image, and we shall appear with him in glory. But we should pray, may God hasten that day, and we shall be in that place of perfect sinless bliss.